Welcome to the fourth episode of the Ulster Rugby Lab podcast. I'm joined by Niall Annette. How are you, Niall? Very well, thank you. Thank you very much for having me. I appreciate it. I mean, I think like everyone, a bit bored. Um, yeah. Trying to keep myself as busy as possible. Very surreal times, but yeah. I suppose we've just got to do what we've got to do and keep our, keep ourselves safe and in the house. But I think uh, very much looking forward to being able to get back out and training and stuff whenever you've been in a career that I have for the best part of 10 years. Yeah. You're pretty active and it's weird not being able to, to do that on a daily basis. Oh, I'm sure. I know you're doing podcasts and doing something creative and trying to make the most of it because... There's not many opportunities in terms of having free time to do stuff like this. And I don't know, I suppose you have to say it that way and be positive about it and go, right, may as well make the most of this bad situation and do something productive. But yeah, so. Absolutely. I agree. Positive and productive, positively productivity, like making yeah. sure you the time you have. And like I was only supposed to be doing the pod once every two weeks, and now I'm doing it once a week. And yeah, you've got a you know, opportunity to to try and improve in certain areas outside of what we, we all normally do and that can only be positive. Yeah, oh no, definitely. I know in terms of your podcast, I've, I've listened to a couple of episodes. I'd be quite into my podcast, so I'd, I'd, follow, I'd, follow, I'd followed yours more recently. I'd listened to a few of the other rugby ones as well, so like uh, Baz and Andrew, do you ever listen to that? I have listened. Is that the Joe Delaye one? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, like for me, like I, like you said, I enjoy podcasts. I, I listen to a lot of them. Yeah, I listen to a whole range of them, which is probably the reason I got into trying to do that one um, that you yeah. talked about earlier. And I suppose for me, the best rugby pod out there is the House of Rugby, Joe Delaye, you know, yeah. kind of British slash Irish version of it. I love Baz and Andrews one, especially yeah. when they get flat on. And I lo- and I yeah. do enjoy the Alex Payne, James Haskell, Tyndall one because I think they talk openly and quite they talk quite a bit of sense as well. Yeah, the other yeah. ones I've listened to previously are just a wee bit too. I don't know. I might be I might be soft to it as a professional rugby player, but there's just a lot of stuff out there that they say for the sake of saying it to get a reaction. And I just think it's too much of that going out. It's too much clickbait. It's too much yeah. controversial assembly, you know, quotes. And I think that's not the line that I've tried to go down. But yeah, yeah. for me. House of Rugby, um, particularly that Baz and that, like those two are hilarious together. I know. You know I like. I, I like. They were best mates before, but I don't. I don't think. I think they knew of each other, but they're just yeah. perfect. I know. I know. They're great. They're a great pair. Like, um, I'd I'd like that, and I listen to Rugby Paul as well, Andy Good and Jim Hamilton. Some of the stories those two have are amazing, and like I, I've, yeah, yeah. I've met Jim Hamilton and played against him a couple of times. Yeah, and he is class crap. Like he is. <laughs> he is he's everything that you see him. Yeah. Like you can laugh at himself, yeah. but at the same time, he's sharp witted. So, you have to, when you go at him, you have to be careful because yeah, yeah. He's, he's quick. Um, so, I do think, I think Jim's contribution that's class. Yeah, yeah. I listened to Joe Rogan as well. Did you ever listen to Joe Rogan? Yeah, I love Joe Rogan. He was, he's yeah. probably the original. There's a couple outside of rugby that I listened to Joe Rogan, Tim Ferriss, and then a yeah. the guy called uh, Rabel. Uh, I can't remember his first name now. But he's a he's a lacrosse player, and effectively, right. he he's really interesting. His whole his whole concept around podcasting is just around high performance. So yeah. he's like a top top end lacrosse player, which yeah. to us means not a huge win. But over in the states, it's quite a big professional sport. Um, yeah, yeah. So uh, his, some of his stuff's amazing. Um, I can't remember his first name now for the life of me, which is terrible. But 
his, I've kind of modeled mine off the back of what he, what approach he went for. Yeah, yeah. I'd be the same. I really like Tim Ferriss and I've read, read a couple of his books and stuff like that. So have you read the four hour work week? Yeah, I've, I've, I've done a fair bit of it. I'm not sure I totally yeah. finished it. I'm not sure it applies to a professional rugby player, but I yeah. think uh, <laughs> by going to the trainers and start telling them I'm only working for four hours a week, I think they tell me <laughs> to catch myself on. Yeah, yeah. No, it's uh, oh, it's it's good, and I love the um, what you're saying there about the a lot of stuff out there at the moment. It's about clickbaity and stuff like that. You know, in terms of like rugby journalism and stuff. That winds me up as well. I wanted to get into a bit of rugby journalism and I always listen to podcasts and stuff, same as yourself. Like we listen to Baz and Andrew and the rugby mm-hmm. pod and stuff. And I thought it's good to do sort of more long form interviews because you get a lot of, a lot of the, the coverage you get in like newspapers, particularly here. I don't know what it's like in England, but it's, it's pretty superficial. You sort of get stuff like what was the score, who scored, and beyond that, like there's there's not a huge amount of detail. What well, I'd be more interested, uh, yeah, uh, and I, I'd be more interested in like what motivates players, like what got them into the game in the first place, what uh, what sets them apart from guys maybe who grew up playing rugby. Basically, everyone I've spoken to to say, oh, there's guys far more talented than me at school and at age group level. But they've got, they're the ones who have gone on to be professionals and, and play at the top level. I'm always curious like what it is that sets those guys apart. What have they done that's a bit different? And, and you know, how they structure their days, how they prepare for games and all that. So just go into a bit more detail. So, um, no, I think it's great. I think that, that sits perfectly in line with what I'm going to do. I, yeah. Obviously, as a professional rugby player, there's a lot of time like at the club, I'll be asked to do media or to do a media segment for the, for the lads. And it's very much like a microphone in front of you. And it's very short, sharp engagement. And I understand that's the way the, the rugby club runs, you know, has to run a media segment. But the whole point of what I was trying to do with Wind Your Neck In, which it, it sits perfectly in line with, with what you're doing, is yeah. actually get to know people. Yeah. It's, it's like we're sitting having a chat, you know, like you would do if you met at a coffee shop. It's, yeah. it's that kind of long form conversational is the perfect way you described it yeah. and it'll, I think it allows the listener to actually get to know you a bit hopefully if, if, if you can ask the right questions or if I can ask the right questions and um, it depends on what the person wants to give away to a certain degree but I think there's a there's a definitely a niche for for getting to know individuals over the space of an hour because there's yeah. a lot of time like how often do, do Jim or uh, Andy or Baz or, or Trimby talk about you know their experiences what they've been through how they felt you know what it looked like off the back of it I, I would love to know more about those guys on a personal level and that's yeah. I suppose the, the line that we're heading down yeah exactly and I think despite all the sort of it's a big crap obviously rugby not being on but I suppose it opens up that opportunity now for people to not be so distracted by what's just happened on the pitch, but more talk about the individuals. So I suppose there's an opportunity there. So all the all the chat after a game as well, it's like it gets very samey, doesn't it? Like uh, and players are very limited what they can say from I mean, you know yourself like at press conferences, if you say something out of turn, it'll just be misquoted. So everyone for that reason, everyone sort of says the same same old boring stuff like give a hundred percent the guys left out of the pitch. <laughs> I know when I've been there, like, and if we've lost a game real close, I, I just put a guard up and I give, and that kills me to do it because it's not actually who I am as a person. I'm quite honest. I'm quite, I, I think about what I'm going to say. So I more times than not, apart from whenever I'm like, 
deep into competition or like <laughs> then I can lose the plot. But like in terms of when I'm speaking, it's quite calculated. And yeah. the, the point is, I don't like having to put this front up and say all the generic rubbish that every rugby player says. Like, oh, well, like, you know, sometimes you, it was the fine margins. That's the usual, one, isn't it? That's the fine margins and we just need to be better. <laughs> and I've heard myself say that. And I'm just going like, oh, <laughs> you're such a, a sellout. Just tell, say what you yeah. really think. Yeah, um, but yeah. you can't. So it's, nah. I suppose yeah, the, the, the form of the forum that we're providing hopefully allows people to talk more openly about experiences rather than controversial scorelines or yeah. or, or results. So yeah, it's something I think is is worthwhile. And I have read up on some of the stuff that you've done. I think it's it's class work. Oh, thank you. I wanted to get into journalism. Uh, I sort of wrote a couple of things, but no one would look at it or read it none of the newspapers would take it on so i thought i'll just start my own website and if nothing comes of it whatever but at least i'm doing something which i enjoy you know it's a hobby so that's it yeah that's it you have to be doing what you enjoy and as long as you enjoy it like you're not by putting content out there as long as i suppose it's like again like we're quite similar in the way we're attacking this as long as you're putting out good content something will stick eventually that's the thing yeah you have to in this day and age that you could easily go to that office five days a week and come home and just think like what am i doing but you're spending yeah. your time to try and incorporate something that you are really passionate about and that you are you do really enjoy and i think there's yeah. probably not enough people in this day and age doing that a lot of people go to work the clock in the clock out it's a short old life to be doing that isn't it a hundred percent and obviously for you it's the same same thing you're playing rugby but you have, have this sort of creative outlet as well doing your your podcast so um, yeah, well, I suppose that, I suppose the thing with mine is um, I don't have a huge amount of creative freedom with what I do, other than yeah. the way I play. But even to a certain degree, the way I play is dictated by a plan and uh, what we've seen in video analysis. So, yeah. what I am enjoying is that I can I can design an episode, of, you know, any of it the way I want to. It's completely mine, and that's and that's fun and quite strange to me. You know, I kind of find myself doing it and then thinking like, oh, should I check with one of the boys to see if they like this? And I'm like, I don't have to. <laughs> this is mine. Like, if it's yeah. crap, it's crap. I can do yeah, whatever yeah. content or style or the jingle or the artwork. Like some of the boys helped me with that stuff and that was yeah. class. But you're totally right about creative freedom. Yeah. And there's something quite liberating about that because at the same time, people could hate it. But when people do enjoy it, you're thinking like, yeah, like that, like that was just, just down to what I thought would, would look good or sound good. Yeah, yeah. I think it's important to have something like that in your life where it's just your project and you can you yeah. can do with it what you like. And there's a lot of trial and error. Like um, first episode I did, I've only done like a few episodes of the podcast. And uh, first episode, it was a great guy. Had a, he's like a rugby analyst on a guy Jason Lear and okay. he was a really interesting guy he was a great chap and I, I was sat there beside him chewing away on crisps and stuff like that and oh, you yeah. just all you could hear was me <laughs> meeting Chris and then people were raging um so I put it up I put up the podcast and all these people were commenting like what were you thinking eating Chris and all and then, <laughs> Um, you live and learn and it's funny how annoyed people get on the internet <laughs> oh, they're, all, they're all 10 foot tall when they're on the internet when they're banging on their keyboard they'll say whatever they want but I know I know it's funny like, like, when you're when you're when you're doing this by yourself like I'm doing literally this all from my dining room as well yeah so 
whenever like the only thing I didn't compromise on was the gear because they the, all the research I did for months said like the thing you can't compromise is, is on sound. So yes. And you know, I know that's ironic that we're sitting here speaking over Skype now, but yeah, yeah. to a certain degree, they think if, if someone starts a podcast or something and they hear the sound quality is bad, they just turn it off. I would do that 100%. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I think, you know, I've had a few instances as well where you're like, you finished, the, you finished. I, I did a cracker with my uh, part of the guy who works with my agent who, who's a good friend of mine. And I was doing like practice uh, mock episodes and we did this class interview and we just picked three topics and we talked. And then the point was that I would take the, all the formatted data and edit it and make it into like a practice episode. Yeah. So I've done this, I've done this whole episode. And as you can see, I got one of those mics. So I yeah. so the sound quality was all right. So I've done this full episode forgotten to have turned on my microphone so the sound quality was awful yeah, like, yeah. Talking, it sounded like i was speaking on the, on the moon in a spaceship <laughs> so very quickly in line with what you were saying about the crisps you learn your mistakes yeah, and you yeah, need, so yeah. not every time before i start i'm like is the mic on is the mic on <laughs> <laughs> i know you just you live and learn and like um I think you get used to it. And even if you listen to some of the best podcasts out there, if you if you look at the early episodes, they're a bit crap. Like the and they just they get better over time. And you look at like Joe Rogan now, it's so professional. Oh, yeah. You look at the early episodes, oh. it's like grainy and like sounds not amazing. And uh, yeah. so I mean it's reassuring when you look at guys like that, you're like, Well, everyone has to start somewhere. So um but yeah, so what what I'm what I'm really keen to do is talk to as basically the three episodes I've done so far I've been speaking to uh, like rugby analysts and stuff and they're keen to speak to players and particularly guys who have been at Ulster and have gone on to do other things. So what what are you up to at the minute? Obviously things are a bit strange at the minute for everyone. Uh, what are you filling your days with at the minute? Yeah, so obviously like everyone we're <clears throat> we're more or less housebound and I suppose I'm trying to fill my time with as much training as possible so. Uh, I don't come back up too out of shape to the club and uh, that's taking up uh, a little bit of time in the morning and in the afternoons but other than that I'm just trying to I'm trying to keep myself busy I suppose like everyone you get a little DIY done don't you everyone's gardens and it's in 10 out of 10 condition and uh, getting a few bits done that the wife's been at me for a while to do and trying to be as productive as possible and you know i think you have an opportunity here just to get some really really focused stuff done if you if you can get into your routine and a game plan and i suppose alongside that more kind of socially i'm i'm currently like yourself and running a podcast called wind your neck in over here in england basically just involved around high performance and guys i've played with and having a chat with them and then at the same time as that, I'm, I'm trying to pick up the old piano again and get back in something that eats up a bit of the time when I'm stuck here. Good man, good man. So it's time well spent anyway at home. Um, so is it just you and your wife? Do you have any kids around? No, no kids. We It's just me, my wife Claire and the dog Benji, who... Nice. Uh, who's currently crawling in and around my legs, but he's uh, he, he's good crack. He gets us out of the house once a day, which is a relief, obviously, yeah, yeah. When, you're, when you're limited to one exit out of the house a day, so I know. it's good. Yeah, no, I've got a wee dog myself, and uh, she keeps me going. I just got her, like, oh, I don't know, six months ago or something like that, so they're class. Like, <laughs> yeah, they, no, yeah. 
I know. I feel I feel very sorry for people at the minute who have kids because uh, it must be <laughs> it must be a bit of a nightmare. But um, yeah, I, I know it's the boys at the club were saying like they've never been home so much, and you know they're kind of got, they're they're stuck in the house. It's like a prison sentence with these kids who are just kind of <laughs> sad and going entertain me. You know, for, for ten to twelve hours a day, and oh, I think I think there's shift patterns working, and I don't know why, I don't know how they're dealing with it, but respect no. the old people there with with kids. Oh, there's no escape uh, completely. I know. So, um, yeah, it feels a bit like that with a dog at times as well. They need a bit of attention, but... Um, yeah, but yeah. at least they curl off over in the corner and go to sleep. I don't know what the kids are doing that. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. No, there's definite advantages to having a wee puppy. Like, what, what type shirts? Uh, he's a he's a schnoodle, so he's a schnauzer, pull across. Like, I was, oh. I was telling someone the other day, like, I had dreams of this big Alsatian. It's my yeah. favourite... I shouldn't sit in front of him. Benji, don't listen. <laughs> My favorite breed, like but the missus, the wife's uh, allergic, so oh, basically right. compromise on this yeah. little tiny black ball of fur. But yeah, I could, <laughs> I'll tell you what, I love that dog to bits. I know you grew you grew to love them regardless. Like even if it's yeah. not your necessarily your first choice of t- uh, type of dog, but um, yeah. yeah. So. What I always ask people, and it's good to have like a podcast interview, so I've done interviews with a number of players, um, but it's all written down, and sometimes you lose a bit of a bit of the tone and meaning in what they're saying, so it's it's good to have someone uh, like yourself on. Um, first thing, it is great to speak to, to uh, a player and hear, hear things from their perspective. One thing I always ask people is, how did you get involved in rugby in the first place? Like, what what help you develop your passion for rugby it's an interesting one for me because i was actually we were we were brought up in a football family like my my old man was a was a footballer so rugby rugby kind of fell into our family because my eldest i'm one of four boys so yeah. there's two above me and one below me i'm not twisted a twisted dude who sits at number three who has to scrap up and for, to the two older brothers but yeah my eldest brother went went in the went in the method MCB and and obviously fe- kind of fell in, from a f- football perspective fell into rugby that way and as a result the three of us followed. Don't know yeah. how I managed to get in, but I think I'm, I somehow managed to spoof an A and eleven plus good in the method. And they basically said like I I love my football going into, going into there and it was a hard decision for me because I probably had dreams of grandeur of going and becoming a pre- the next Northern Irish Premier League football player, which never yeah. would have happened. Yeah. But I think my parents made the decision that you're going to go to Methody and you're going to buy into whatever they have to offer. We're not going to keep driving you to the football. It clashes. The two older boys did well at rugby. So I fell into rugby at Methody. Yeah. I loved my time there. I think, you know, I probably st- I probably loved football more I joined before I joined Methody. And when I joined Methody, there was, there's a culture in that place about high performance in a rugby aspect so yeah. um, I got into there I, I worked my way through the years uh, that followed up some the medallions and to be honest it was only probably whenever I hit lower sixth that I thought there was a potential for me to make a career out of this and I knew it was a small chance but I, it was the first time it had really hit home with me because up till then I'd it's all fun isn't it you're just doing it for a laugh and then when you hit lower sixth and you make uh, like a Ulster schools and Irish schools, you kind of think like, oh, what does this lead to? Um, yeah. So so I suppose I, the answer to your question is I fell into it via football. Yeah. Probably still have a strong passion for football, but I've, I've grown to love rugby in the same way. 
Yeah. Uh, who, who do you support in the football? So I'm a Man United fan. Good man, good man. My old man and my youngest brother were Wolves fans, so there was a temptation to go and support them. Like my old man supported them off the back of like Steve Bull and whatever Wolves were actually like. Well, I suppose they're decent now, but decent before. Yeah. yeah. But the rest of us were huge. We're huge United fans and and had some great memories. What like I still have a memory of watching that '99 final in my living room and. The, the brother above me, not the eldest one, Danny, like I remember vividly when, when Sochar scored that goal off the corner, like he was out the front door in, <laughs> in the like neighbourhood yeah, in the cold yeah. pack screaming yeah. and like our house was going mental that night. Yeah, yeah, similar, similar memories, like I'd be a United fan, two older brothers as well. That's one of the most vivid memories growing up. Um, yeah. That second goal going in, my brother sprinting up and down the house. And uh, <laughs> I just was lying, lying on my back laughing. I couldn't believe it. But yeah. um, good, good times. Good times. But uh, it's, been, it's been tougher recently. But um, yeah. We'll be back. We'll be back. I know. I know. Fingers crossed. Um, going back to Methody, so you're in like a sort of golden generation uh sort of bunch of guys in your year certainly in that school's cup winning team went on to have professional careers you captained that team and then went on to obviously captain ireland on their 20s in terms of like captaincy you had well we're talking about that methody team but also ireland as well you had a team that had like tag furlong ian henderson uh, Paddy Jackson, all those guys, and you were you were you were made captain. Obviously, I knew I knew this is uh, awkward for me to say, but you would have been earmarked as the most talented of of a very talented generation of rugby players. In terms of being captain of that team, is that something that comes naturally to you? Have you always been like? Is that sort of a natural leadership ability that comes out? Have you sought after that, or is that just something people have always you've just always been picked? So I suppose in, in the very in, in the infancy of, of that method experience, you know, because you go and you play these Ulster and these Irish, you know, you're selected off your ability more than anything. <clears throat> you you basically the reality of what happens is, is you get rank because you're you're sent off to this supposed higher level. And I think the the cap the, I didn't captain up until I was up until I was lower sixth when I captained the first couple of times, but it was always something that I felt I was probably too shy. I was probably too reserved. I I like to just let my play and do the talk. But whenever I moved into that lower sixth position where I had played all stronger eighteens and I was in you know moving into that Irish under 18s automatically people start looking at you and they start expecting more and I think that's something that probably grew in that year more than ever we had a our captain that year was Adam Macklin who was like probably probably the best schoolboy I've ever played with or seen play in in my experience he was a man mountain at that age but he had a couple of injuries uh, through that year and the captaincy was kind of thrown between me and another upper sixth guy so very early in that year, you kind of, off the back of playing some underage stuff for Ulster, people start to look at you and you've got to either find something or, you know, go quiet. And I think the natural thing for me was to just try and develop that leadership ability. Now, the year after, um, again, people start looking at you even more. I think it would have been an easy toss-up between myself and Mikey Allen, someone who played first for, for three years. But like you say, the, the quality in those teams... You know whether you're talking about um, the Methody team or the 
the you know, Irish under-18s. Like, we had so much quality. Yeah. And we had a lot of lads who played the year before who came back. And that made that probably made my job quite easy because you don't need to babysit anyone. You just need to set a culture and set a standard and, and try and ensure that everyone stays within that. And I think leapfrogging that into the, to the Irish 20s, you know, we again the same stands because we had guys like you've mentioned a few and Tag Furlan and Hendy are, are the easy ones because they've got on to be British Nash Lions and yeah. those are two insanely talented guys. But if you if you look at some of the players in that team as well, you'd you know, you'd Jacko, you'd Tiernan O'Halloran, you'd Andrew Conway, you'd Brendan Mackin, you'd Jordy Murphy, you'd Owen McKeown, you had guys who, of of huge quality who have gone on to represent their country which is which is what that whole foundation is about yeah. and my captaincy probably just involved making sure I did my job well first and I probably never read into it too much I probably just thought the most important thing here is to get my job right and then let's see naturally as a competitor how I can get the boys to go to that extra five to ten percent that they need to the common theme among players I've interviewed are they're just like insanely competitive people naturally is that do you fall into that bracket obviously like showing yourself like uh driving cultures and standards and i see Luda international captains uh, i suppose you've got johnny sex and stuff and one thing i noticed just even watching like the lions documentary and stuff it's like any mistake he rips into people is that something that you have in terms of like you're a very competitive person or are you more laid back you're saying but your leadership style there, what what sort of person are you in that in that regard? Look, I think everyone's different. I think from where my experience has come, my I understand you have to have a certain degree of emotional intelligence about it because, like, if I ripped everyone out after after they made a mistake, I'd be getting ripped out because I make mistakes. So you have to have yeah. an understanding that I suppose what my leadership style falls in line with is is kind of similar to. Donica and I discussed it on the podcast there um, a couple of days ago. And like, we, we can live with people, you know, we can live with people making mistakes and falling short as long as they've given everything that they possibly can, as long as they've prepared the best they can, as long as they've gone out in the pitch and they've, and they've crawled off and they've ended yeah. themselves. And that's probably where I sit in terms of what I'd expect of people who I play with. Like my, my fundamental strength as I see it is my ability to go to the absolute brink to go as hard as I can and leave nothing out there so that's what I expect of people whenever I am a leader you know people drop the ball people will make mistakes I throw the ball not straight sometimes but it's not from a lack of trying it's not from a lack of caring and it's not for a lack of wanting to be successful am I a competitive person yeah like I'm stupidly competitive I probably have to rein it in at times when like conditioning games Niles is a phrase that gets thrown around the lads at Warriors all the time because we'll go in and play like these fun conditioning games and I'll I have the tendency to go in there and lose my, lose the plot or lose my head because I want to win I want to be successful yeah. I think you have to be careful about how you try and imp- implement that you know I do see guys like Sexton and, and Farrell and I think there's probably a more savvy intellectual side of what they're doing in terms of when they're demanding standards, as opposed to just like, you make a mistake, you're having it. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I have to say, in terms of players that I watch and have always admired, even footballing as well, footballing context, um, it's, it's never the, the talented players I respect, like Leo Messi or someone, unbelievable. 
But I really like the players who are just grafters. They sort of uh, perform over and above their potential. Like Gary Neville or someone not particularly talented naturally. He's taking <laughs> the words straight out of, my, out of my mouth. Like people look at me with like I've got four heads whenever I say like Gary Neville's one of my favourite players. Yeah. And they go like, what are you talking about? He was so average. And I was going like, he was so good bringing himself to a level that was beyond himself. Yeah, yeah. In a team that was full of superstars, he brought himself through hard work and dedication and sacrifice to a level where he was he was like like an absolute catalyst for that team that went yeah. and succeeded on every front. And it, and you could see that it was down to brute desire and want. And I and I've always, like you said, Peter, like always felt an affinity with, with people like that. And it's probably, if I'm being honest, it's probably because I'm not the most talented player in the world. I probably have to work a little bit harder. I have to do a little bit more, you know, and I can see a lot of Gary Neville in myself. So that's the reason you probably, you know, gravitate towards these guys yeah yeah no 100 no i'd be, I'd be completely and during a rugby context you see it all the time as well there's guys and we're reluctant to name names in, in ulster but there's guys who who maybe aren't as talented um but they just they're they've just worked in their fitness and one of the one of the examples of of someone who i i'm always inspired by and i'm sure you were as well as Rory best um who a, by his own admission, sort of early days, like obviously to make it at that level, he had to be very, very talented. He was sort of, he wasn't fulfilling his potential by his own admission. And he talks about how he just decided, right, I'm going to be the fittest that I can be in this team. I'm going to really graft to get there. So obviously he's a guy who was Ulster whenever you joined. What was it like whenever you came in, you came in through the academy, you started playing for Ulster. What was it like to play under Rory Best and to what extent did you learn from him and get inspired by just playing with him and being around him? I think the interesting thing with Best is he's, he's like if he if he has said that he's probably undervaluing what a, what a skill set he has like yeah. boys who train and play with him would tell you he's got an incredible skill set and he's actually got a class left peg so <laughs> like that's genuine as well he, yeah. he's he's probably being modest when he says he's He's not the, one of the most skillful players because he's more than capable of doing it at the top level. But there is a certain degree of, of what his game was built around is being the fittest with mm-hmm. the most involvements and being tough and, and, and yeah. physically strong. And you can see that in the way he played. I think when I came into to the Ulster Academy, I had a couple of guys who I looked up to. And um, Rory Best is the really easy one because of how successful he was and how he played for Ireland. Like, well probably about 70, 60 times by the time I joined. But the other one was Nigel Brady, who's now the team, I think he's the team manager or, yeah. or he's in some capacity at Ulster. And he was a guy who was really good to me and he probably could afford to spend more time with me than Bestie could because Bestie had too much on his plate. Uh, I'm mixed with trying to make sure when he came back he was he was playing his best rugby but I spent probably more consistent based on my time with Nigel Brady yeah. who would have given me a lot of help in, in and around some of his real skills which he was one of the best scrummagers I played with him and Bestie were actually both amazing scrummagers but Nigel is someone I probably scrummed against more and he shoved my head up my ass a few more times than I'd like to mention but that is all part of the learning curve and afterwards he'd be like yeah you just need to make sure you do this or on the engagement you need to make sure your body position's here and 
those so in tandem with the two of those boys, I had a like I had a huge degree of quality ahead of me, and I it was as simple as just watching them. You know, there wasn't always the same that the the arm around the shoulder conversations that you like to think that there is because at the end of the day, when I was nineteen or twenty, I wanted their job, yeah. and they were aware that I had. I had been earmarked in a, to a certain degree by being brought into the academy to succeed them. So there's a really difficult balance between them wanting to help because they knew that's the right thing to do. But at the same time, you know, Nige and Rory wanted to keep playing as long as they could. Yeah. So there's a really, it's a delicate dance that, that's done in every club, but every year. And I think the reality of what, of what it is, is that successful successful environments which Ulster was at that time yeah. um, and has got back to is based around people getting that balance right because you get yeah. young guys getting better you get young guys getting quality influence from top top seniors and Rory and Nige were the perfect blend for me because they had a lot of traits that were similar to what I like to do like something like with to pick one off the other, like Nigel's ability to follow play upfield was something I always thought was brilliant. Like someone, you know, a hooker built like the old school style. He always seemed to get a touch on the ball when someone made a break. And that was just down to the way he would work off the ball, like a cheap line to get touches. And then Bestie's ability to, to probably get himself over ball in a jackal, something that I'm still trying to match him on yeah. because his ability to get crucial momentum shifting turnovers at times, can change games, they can yep. relieve pressure. And so there's just little bits that you steal off them and you try and put into your own game. But they were amazing influences for me. Yeah. And obviously you joined into that senior uh, senior squad at a time when you had um, significant str- strength and depth in, in the team. So you had the likes of Rory and then Rob Herring as well came in. In terms of your decision to apply your trade elsewhere, go over to play at Worcester, I imagine for anyone growing up in Ulster, the dream is to play for Ulster and Ireland. How difficult the decision was that to move over to Worcester and um, pursue your career over there? And, and do you know, did you have a, a long-term view of coming back as well? And yeah, I just imagine it must have been a really, really hard decision to move away. Of, co- of course it was. Like, you know, <laughs> I remember going to play, at, there's some of my fondest rugby memories, playing at Ravenhill. In, I only played 20 times, and that's probably the cause of my frustration. But playing there in front of my old man, who used to come and watch in the stands, is like they sit as the pinnacle, and I probably didn't appreciate them whilst I was in them. So playing for Ulster is something that every Ulster man, and that's the beauty of what the provincial rugby in Ireland gives you. Now that I'm the other side of it over here, you get the same support from the very, very passionate fan base, but you don't get the same attachment from some of the players because... The, the reality of our squad of Worcester is that if, out of a group of 50, you've probably got five who are from Worcester or the Worcester area. Whereas yeah. when we were at Ulster, I know it changes with some of the RFU directives in terms of moving players, um, but you still get you still get people buying into what it is to represent the Red Hand. And I think that's something that I couldn't be prouder that I've done. When I know when I hang my boots up, that's, that sits up there making my Ulster debut as one of the pinnacles and I suppose in relation to why and when I moved I talked about it the other day with Marie Kinsella on the 42 and it's difficult because it takes time and perspective for you to really understand why that happens and it can be difficult for people to accept and it was hard for me to accept because I felt like I felt like I had a right to to be playing for Ulster 
because I was from there. But the, the sporting world doesn't wait for you, and no one waits for you. You've either got to take your opportunity, or we'll see. You know, you, you fall down the, the pecking order. And the reality of what happened was. Uh, Bestie was number one. We also had knives. We had a guy called Andy Kiriaku who used mm-hmm. to be there, who was a quality rugby player as well. Yeah. Played a load of times for Ulster. Was someone who was very influential to a lot of us young boys as well, because I know he's moved into coaching now. Yeah. Um, and then Rob got signed probably in line with me. Um, and the reality of what happens is in professional sport is it doesn't matter where you're born, doesn't matter who you know. When you get opportunities, you've got to play better or else you fall down the pecking order and and very simply Rob played better rugby than I did at a time whenever it was very critical to do so. I remember vividly like he beat me on a, on a, on a fitness test. I remember running beside him on the fitness test and we were the last two in and he beat me. And I remember just thinking at the time, like I gave everything there, but he's just beaten me on that. He started playing some rugby more ahead of me off the back of that. And he, he secures that number two spot and the coaches make a decision. They go, it's equal, it's 50-50, let's give them a chance each and we'll see what happens. And, you know, fair and square, in time I've learned to accept it that Rob did a great job and beat me into that spot and then I'm left with a decision as to what my career, what my potential and what I feel I can put out there it looks like. And I wasn't, I wasn't happy to sit there behind Bestie and... And behind Rob and, yeah. and citizen number three choice because what that looks like in terms of uh, a third choice player in in, our, in Ulster and, and in Ireland is that you end up playing club rugby, which I have nothing against club rugby. Some of my fondest memories are playing for that. But when you're looking to try and become an international rugby player, there's a ceiling to the amount of time that you can play for your club, or else yeah. you start to you start to regress mm-hmm. to that level, which is. Nothing personal to, to club rugby across Ireland, but you, you have to be playing to a level that's above and stretches you. And like we talked about Gary Neville, you have to play to a level that drags the best out of you. And I found and I felt that that wasn't doing that for me anymore. So I had a decision to make and moving across to Worcester was an opportunity that came up. Uh, I was well aware that Gus Creevy was there, who was at his best, one of the, probably the best if not one of the best hookers in the world so you're moving from someone like Bestie to Gus Creevy to play more regular rugby and yeah it's hard to leave Ulster you're leaving your home you're leaving your friends you're leaving your family you feel like a bit of a failure because you haven't made it or lived up to the expectations that you had set for yourself or other people within the organization had set for you but this is all part of your story it's part of your part of your growth and it's part of, of your journey and in fairness it's worked out okay. Yeah. Uh, I'm happy with the way it's turned out, but you said it. You know, there's no part of me that'll never say that I wouldn't love to play for Ulster because I'm from there and I'm born there. But you have to be real. You have to be realistic about these things and understand that this is the way the sport works and this is the way life works. Yeah, and uh, so. I suppose you've moved to Worcester and become very much part of the club, very much part of the community there as well. In terms of your move, you, you went in, played that season in the championship, and I heard you talk uh, on one of your other podcasts about what a learning experience that was and actually really benefited yeah. you, just the sheer size of guys and uh, playing to a good standard there as well. Did you know immediately you'd made a good move or did, did any part of you go all oh, what have, I, what have I done? Or uh, <laughs> uh, do you know? Was it was that? Uh, was there a thought of, of maybe going over for a season and then coming back to Ulster? Or had 
whenever you moved, did you very quickly go, I said, this is the place for me now? No, I signed I signed a two-year. So I, I bought into the vision that Dean Ryan had put in place. He put in this five-year plan and he targeted a group of players that were in my position who were, who were I can't remember how he put it, but he, he basically they were stuck behind yeah. full international. So a group of players that had a lot of ability at underage level, but were stuck behind players that were almost restricting their game time. Yeah. So when I when I moved over, I was I bought in. I I at that time was probably frustrated at, at having to leave, but I knew for my rugby for my rugby career it had to happen. I, I ended up you've said it yourself there, like they're like you end up playing in the championship nearly every week versus playing for Belfast Harlequins uh, in a in two A or 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 one B maybe they were in at the time and the the improvements that I made as a rugby player by getting my head kicked in every week as I said there seems to be quite a big Ulster connection over in Worcester as well so you've got like uh, Solomon's who formerly of Ulster and uh, you've got Neil Duke there as well and um, Michael Heaney and Callum Black and all these guys. But what yeah. is it about Worcester that attracts all the Ulster guys? I don't know. I was first there. It's definitely not me. <laughs> so I don't know. Listen, I was there when there was no Ulster players. I was there. I've been there for a few DORs. And I think what happens is we work through the DORs and Solly came in. And Solly, from his time in Ulster, has a very clear idea of what an Ulster man can offer and what an Ulster man is. And he holds us after his time in 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 Ulster in really high regard because of the experience that he had with guys like Roger Wilson and Neil Neil uh, Best. Yeah. So he looks at, 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 at some of the guys he's worked with. You know, he knows Neil Doak for a long time. And there's probably an element of chance about it. You know, like Blackie, Callum Black, started in Worcester, mm-hmm. still EQP, uh, and moved home almost. You know, home was, was Belfast for him, but he moved to his home home where he was, nearly born and bred so there's an element of chance about it but at the same time I think Solly really respects and uh, from his time that what an Ulster man can offer what sort of person they are how they're raised how they're expected to perform and the standards that they expect of themselves and that's helped because like I've known Michael Heaney since we were 10 or 11 like we played I have to say very badly in a Belfast schools football team together and like we didn't know each other at that stage, but we ended up in the same year at Methody and played all of our rugby together. We played our 20s together. He's had his own amazing journey within rugby, and now to have him here is something that I am really appreciative of, and I find that really special in a way. And then you got guys like Connor Carey, who was in the year below us at Methody, who has had a bad Achilles tear this year, but has the potential to go and make a you know a really big impact next year when he's back and he's someone I've known since we were 12 or 13 too so there, there's a certain degree of surrealness about it but I think the, the be all and end all is people from Ulster have a reputation and it's yeah. and it's a good one and um, that's pleasing for me because I, I always understand that the, the ways in which we were expected to perform and hold ourselves by guys like Gary Longwell who was our our academy head when we were going through and guys like Kevin Geary, who was our strength and conditioner, they were our two key focal points. Guys like David Drake, who's now involved with the senior team. I think they not raised us because they're not our parents, but they, in a sporting sense, raised us to hold ourselves in a way that people in the rugby community do respect. Yeah. 
Yeah. And you, you mentioned there Connor Carey's injury. In terms of your own injuries and stuff, uh, one, of, one of the real common themes uh, among all the interviews I've done have been these setbacks in your career. These things which are maybe perceived as failures, but actually go on to spur you on the greater success. In terms of your, your own, uh, I know you've, you've had difficulty with the, your ACL and then well, I think hamstring concussion, ACL sort of thing, and it ruled you yeah. out for a while. In terms of in terms of that, what was the psychological effect, and how did that actually, or did it spur you on the greater success going forward? Yeah, it was a really challenging eighteen months because I was actually kind of more or less out and out first choice at Worcester, and we were doing quite well. I, and I had a, a syndesmosis in my right ankle, which is basically a high ankle sprain, but your tip and your fibber kind of splaying away from each other, so. That was a setback in itself, but I was really positive off the back of it because I'd, I'd played the best rugby at, at Prem level that I felt I could have put out there. So, listen, an injury is an injury. The rugby player's cycle is be fit, play rugby, get injured, rehab, get back to playing rugby. And it's kind of a circle that just continually depends on how long you have in between these, <laughs> these breaks. Yeah. Now, in hindsight, I had a fairly short time frame between my injuries and that compounded in 18 months that was very challenging for me as a person very challenging for me as a professional but I suppose now I'm through the other side of it It, the the one word that I would the one word that I would instill in any young guy if I ever had the chance to speak to them or if they listened to this or if they if I ever got to coach or manage them is you have to be resilient to be a professional sportsman and I showed resilience but at the time, it didn't feel like I was resilient. It felt like I was losing. It felt like I was, I was, I was struggling. And I had the syndesmosis. I came back. I probably trained too hard in my off season because I was so keen to get back into you know, the typical nighter, probably a little bit too intense. Uh, and I pulled my hamstring tendon um, quite badly. So I had a period of, of time off the field with that. And then when I came back, I uh, two weeks later after I came back from that, I played one of those A-League games I discussed earlier and I felt great. And then I had training the next week after that. And I've just planted my foot funny in a way that I have a million times and your left ACL pops. And you're kind of sad. I remember sitting in the physio room afterwards, like, and one of the physios I really, really respect, Neil Sullivan, who worked at Worcester at the time came in and he worked in football for, for like ages. He was with Derby. He was a head of medical Derby. So he sees this a lot and he came in and he was just doing the tests. And I'm like staring at him trying to get a gauge of whether this is good or bad because I know my knee's starting to stiffen up. But I've done like an MDL before and it doesn't quite feel like that. And I can just see from his reaction, he's, he's worried because as far as I was concerned, you know, I've twisted my knee. I've heard a small pop. I've got up. I've gone and hit the next mall because I wasn't quite sure what I'd done. <laughs> so I'm in the middle of a mall and I remember just being like, why am, why am I on one leg? I need to get my foot in here. But there was something in me was just like, you need to get off the pitch. So I came yeah. off the pitch. We're in the physio room and I'm trying to read his face for reactions. And he just looks at me and he says, listen, we're going to need to scan this, but you know the experience I have. And I said, yeah, do so. And he said, well, I'm fairly sure your ACL is gone. So off the back of the other injuries, you're faced in your hip with that. And I suppose yeah. the initial the initial reaction for me was, I'm in big trouble here because I'm out of contract. And off the back of the last, you know, nine months of it that I've had or, or, or probably eight months that I've had with my syndesmosis and my hamstring and the off-season falling in there and that eating up about two months of that time, you're starting to stare down the barrel of, 
being spat out the sport and struggling to get a contract. Yeah. Um, I suppose to answer your question, which I didn't really do, is psychologically, it's really tough. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> there's no doubt about it. You're in it. And, and when you're in it, it feels like there's no light at the end of the tunnel. But yeah. the only way I knew and the only way I was raised was to just keep going. You've just got to keep like, keep trucking is, is the analogy that that sits with me. And you've just got to keep going because there's no mm-hmm. other option. What's the other option? The other option is to quit and give up. And that doesn't sit with me as a person. It doesn't sit with the way I was raised yeah. through my family or with Methody or with the culture of Ulster that we talked about. So you just, you get through it. And I don't yeah. really remember a huge part of it. And I don't really have very good memories of that period apart from getting the dog <laughs> two weeks before I did my ACL. But yeah, it, it's part of your story and it is what it is yeah uh good timing with the dog anyway uh because they do they do pick your spirits up um good good wee companions to have around the place um you, you obviously you touched on that there the um psychological effect of of injury um one thing i'm interested in hearing a bit more about is and i asked various guys this like mental health is a, is a big thing in sport and increasingly people are becoming aware of it which is great um, but as a professional athlete you've got your injuries which must take a huge psychological toll and you've got the pressure of playing professional sport every week and knowing that if an injury comes your way that could be game over for your for your playing career in terms of like mental health and support and uh, and guidance around that, is that something provided by clubs or is that something, as you say, you just work on being resilient yourself? Do you think there's more could be done in that regard? Or um, do you know what, what sort of help is available to, to players just to, to handle these types of pressures? I think it's really interesting and it's probably something that the sport's catching up with. And, and, I, and I think they're making efforts, but I mean, my own experience of it sits around that ACL tying in with my old man passing away and I would have no issues in saying that was the, the toughest period of my not just career of my life but yeah. I don't for one second ever think I was depressed because the, I always felt like I could continue heading towards I could always felt like a t- I could work through it and I could see the end I could see the light at the end of the tunnel but in terms of there's no doubt like who there's no gauge on whether sadness and disappointment reaches depression like there's no there's no it's very gray so Mm -hmm. a lot of players who who go through really tough times can probably tip into sadness and then tip into depression but the important thing is that I, i do believe particularly over here the conversations are being had now and i suppose it took me probably two years to start having these conversations around my injuries and um, how that tied in with my old man passing away because I feel it's important that people start to have the conversations that you know we're able to sit here and have now and the conversation that I was able to sit and have with Murray Kinsella and on, on the 42 article and and because at the end of the day everybody has has issues and experiences in their life everyone goes through their own trials and tribulations how we find manners and mechanisms for us to cope with it and improve is is the real is the real golden nugget and i don't understand anyone who says that you know being a professional rugby player is easy because yes we are fantastically well looked after in a medical sense and we're at times well paid but there's a lot of there's a lot of tough things that go with it you can ask any of my friends or family you know sacrifices uh, around missing weddings, funerals, what you eat, what you drink, sacrifices around 
the the level in which you can do normal things. There are all sacrifices that we're willing to make. There's no doubt about that. But it's I would not for one second say it's easy. And the mental health side of it, I think, is something that the game is particularly keen on trying to catch up with. But it's only off the back of people being able to have conversations like we are, or conversations that you see guys going and doing around around depression or anxiety or or anything like that. And I think the more conversations and the more people who know that it's a real thing and it's nothing to be ashamed of or it's nothing to you know, this whole this whole macho, it's you can't tell people how you feel, doesn't sit particularly well with me because I'm a very vocal conversational person. I like talking, so I'm quite happy I'm I'm quite happy to tell you what I feel and what I think. And maybe I've got to that stage off the back of not being comfortable with that, but you've got to you got to find the right time and you've got to make sure that there's there's like I said mechanisms put in place for people to start discussing and vocalizing any issues that they have had and I think particularly over at Worcester that is something that I'm quite conscious of and it's something that I push quite hard with the lads yeah it, it's it's really good to hear that um I think it's as you say rugby's sort of got that macho culture where people are afraid to speak out. I don't know what it's like uh, within your within the squad and stuff like that. Do people speak to each other? Um, but uh, you, you, what you said about um, rugby's catching up now with that conversation around mental health, and that can only be a, a really good thing. Um, there's there's things like your teammate there, uh, Fadi Alufa, who who uh, injured his spine. I suppose that that puts things into perspective for you. Uh, and uh, he's obviously, th- thankfully, he he's made a good recovery. The stuff like that, I suppose, you, 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 stuff like that probably I don't want to put words into your mouth, but probably makes you realise how um, temporary a, a career, a professional a career as a professional athlete is in terms of your, your exit strategy out of the game. And you've obviously got a number of years left to play, but are you, what are you, what are you looking ahead to? Touch wood. <laughs> well, uh, yeah, you, you've got, uh, I know that, that's it exactly with, with any career, like uh, particularly professional sport, like you just, you just don't know what's around the corner, but in, ter- in terms of the next thing that you're looking to do or what your, what your main interests are, I of rugby and what you'd like to transition into have you got any any strong thoughts on that at this stage yeah well i think on your on your first point with fats and uh, michael fatio like the, the reality of what happened is he he's done something in that game that guys like me do probably eight to twelve times in a game and mm. he's a one in a million case that that's really you know got himself in a really bad position and and the the effects of that are, are horrific the reality also sits around the fact in the way that he's dealt with the scenario that he's put in and he could not you could not be more impressed if you met him and his wife about the way that they're attacking this challenge you would only need to follow him on instagram to see that he's taken a really positive and and kind of at some at some time just because it sits with his personality like like a kind of jokey atmosphere you know that's that's the way that he likes to do it you know his, his instagram post this morning was arrive like a G left in an ambulance and that kind of that kind of attitude is 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 reflective of him and, and his wife and you know he's he's taking it in the right manner but he's also working really hard to get himself back and he is back walking and doing certain exercises that are months ahead of what people thought he would so I think that puts things in perspective but it also leads the leads the way for how we can deal with some of the issues we go through. And I think something like that can very easily make you 
reactive at the right time in terms of what you do when you finish rugby because like you said you never know when it's going to end you never know whenever your life's going to be flipped upside down and I think for me personally I know it's not particularly it's not a particularly cool thing to say when you're a rugby player but I have a huge passion for coaching I have a huge passion for trying to help people become the best that they can be in whatever high performance environment that is so the coaching is something that I am working my way through and I'm doing my level three uh, over here in the, with the RFU with the intention to have the option to do that. But in, in line with that, you want to have the ability to, when you finish rugby, I've seen a lot of guys become quite bitter and mm. resentful towards what the sport's given them. And I don't think I'll ever get there, but I'm conscious that you can't put all your eggs in that basket because the reality around what a professional coach's life looks like is it's quite similar to a professional player. You sign two-year contracts and then you're constantly cycling and moving, depending on how good you are. Yeah. <laughs> so the, the coaching sits on one side, which I am really desperately passionate about. And I, and I think I would make a good coach, hopefully down the line, I'm nowhere near finishing yet. And then the other side of that is probably something in media something in something involved with radio work something involved with i suppose that's where the podcast interest comes the podcast you know is something that came off the back of me wanting to be proactive wanting to get a body of work together that allowed me to go to you know a radio station or or all these different avenues that you think you can maybe go into and show them that you have experience and that you can edit and speak and discuss and you know, observational listening, all those kind of things that we take for granted that are important within that line of kind of rugby journalism in inverted commas. So those are the two areas that I'm looking at at the moment. Yeah. And I think, you know, you've got to just be quite fluid and you've got to be quite dedicated to making sure you're trying things because you never know whether you're going to like it or not until you do. And the podcast for, for first and I couldn't have enjoyed it anymore. And then the coaching I know I enjoy. So it's probably doing those two things in tandem with something else to just try and experiment and dip your toe in and see if, how, how you find it off the back of that. Yeah, yeah. And obviously we had a brief chat before the podcast there about like the, the podcast and, and also what you're doing now. But for anyone listening, so it's the Wind Your Neck In podcast. And you just tell us a wee bit about what what you're aiming to achieve with that and and sort of what motivated you to do the style of podcast that you're doing. Yeah, so I mean, like the name is something that we came up with and I was quite keen for it to remain kind of like a Belfast theme because at the end of the day, that's where I'm born and that's where... Uh, you know, I'm from, and and I think we the whole point of it is that in this day and age, you can have a lot of media that's quite clickbaity, as we discussed, and you can have a lot of pundits who aren't long out of the sport or are long out of the sport who can say things to get to get listeners. And the whole point of my podcast isn't that I'm still a player, so I understand some of the implications around what I can and can't say whenever I do media. I suppose the benefit of what I'm doing is that I record this in my dining room and the, the guests can come on and it's more based around them as a person. It's not based around whether the referee gave the right decision in the 17th minute. It's about who they are, what experiences they've been through, learning more about their story, learning more about their experiences, and then off the back of that, maybe reflecting on, you know, how things could have been or what life looks like for them now. And excuse me, and I think that's that's the kind of line I want to go down because I don't want to become someone who just I have opinions on everything, but you can't go out there and just give them and and not care about the consequences because yeah. at the end of the day, I've had plenty of pundits telling 
you know, me or have said in circles that would my my mum my mum and my brothers would listen and tell me that I've played crap, and, and that's okay. But there's a certain degree of what I want to do that doesn't sit in the same in the same line with that. So it's a long form conversational chat with people I've played with or played against. There's some pretty good quality rugby stars in there and I suppose the plan is long term to maybe move away from rugby and look at high performance as a whole so with the intent to have you know some of the top strength and conditioners within sport maybe more so rugby at the start some of the top physios and talk about some of the issues and the things that they've encountered and I think it's quite exciting for me because I get to do what I'm doing with you now which is just basically sit down and have a chat and I quite enjoy it and then the, the unfun part is as you know is when you have to sit afterwards and edit but the, the creative freedom that we discussed before that that gives you means that uh, whatever I put out there is something that I've done and I'm quite proud of that. Yeah, no, it's it's such a good outlet to be able to to just do your own thing. And I, I know we were talking before about the life of a professional athlete. Not that I would know anything about that, but it it sounds like it's very structured and everything, every aspect of your day and week is planned out for you. And then to have something uh, to do which uh, gives you that creative freedom is a brilliant thing. And I agree. And just on that, before we move on, like I get sent this schedule every every Sunday, and it tells me where I'm meant to be and what I'm doing at that time. So for me as a person, the progression is I have to figure in, I have to fit in when I'm interviewing, when I'm going to edit, how I'm going to how I'm going to get this thing released. There is a certain degree of growth that allows you outside of the sport. Where I'm I'm quite I'm quite vocal on this, and it, it can sound. It can sound a wee bit wrong, but it's meant in, in the right context. Like we as professional rugby players become very institutionalized. Yeah. We become very used to being told where to go, when you're when you're there, what you're doing, who's taking it. And you almost just become a robot. And like there's a certain degree of necessity around that, but at the same time, I'm not totally convinced that it's doing us any favours for whenever we leave rugby because mm. when I when I, I know when I retire, hopefully that's I'm twenty eight, so that's what, seven years time, let's say. <laughs> if I'm milking it out. So say in X number of years, I know for a fact that first week away from professional rugby, you're gonna have to you have to create your own schedule. You have to create your own plan. You have to make sure you know where you're meant to be, when you're meant to be there. And that's something that we as professional players can get caught up with because we get everything handed to us. Yeah, yeah. And we're obviously both quite into football. We were talking earlier a bit about favourite footballers and stuff, but you read some of their books and it's funny that because um, I think if you think rugby's sort of disciplined in that sense, football, just because of the amount of money and investment, players are treated as commodities and everything from about the age of, it's even earlier, sort of, you go into the system, you're about 14 or something like that, and right through... Yeah everything is done for you and I've read books of footballers and they come out of it and they don't know how to make an appointment with a doctor they don't know how to do their own shop and everything's just put on a plate for them so I suppose yeah it's funny like but it's a serious issue for for guys coming out of rugby there are so many transferable skills obviously that you you develop in terms of work rate motivating yourself doing everything you can to bring your performance to that elite level which transfers over to to business and uh and all sorts of things uh just in terms of people organizing their lives i think 
I think there's a lot to be learned from from rugby and and sort of the high performance, the emphasis that's put that's put on uh, performing at your peak and mentally preparing for things as well. Is there anything yeah. you, that you do in your own time? You're talking a wee bit about like uh, books that you read, like Tim Ferriss and Joe Rogan and stuff. Is that whole um, self improvement, bettering yourself? Is that something that forms a big part of your life in terms of you're always trying to learn something? And obviously, the podcast is another thing that you're adding to your sort of repertoire of skills is that uh, something that's that forms a part of your life this self this idea of self-improvement yeah i think it's self-improvement is is quite a general term and i think before self-improvement you've got to have self-reflection and that's something i'm probably more used to because as we've discussed before 90 percent of the time i'm quite quite calm and quite calculated my self-reflection probably sits more around whenever I lose the plot or I have to reflect on how I've behaved in terms of like, I don't know, a training session and I get the scrap. And I think the the progression for us as rugby players to, into that real world is we have to be able to reflect on um, how we can behave in certain situations, how we how we need to structure ourselves and, and, and stuff like studying. Um, and then we have to be able to put in place plans that mean we're making improvements and I suppose the transition into the real world is a really tough one because a lot of people we're coming out of professional rugby effectively as 18 year olds yeah and we're heading into the business world and we have a lot of transitional uh, qualities as you've mentioned but we also lack a certain degree of experience in the real world again in inverted commas so things like working in a team things like motivating ourselves are, are great and I know there are businesses and foundations and and companies that are looking for people with those sort of transitional skills now but i think it's more around how you as a person are going to deal with that you know we're quite good at well i'm quite good at being to a certain degree being told what to do and doing that to the best of my ability you need a company or, or an organization that understands that players are going through those transitions you're not looking for special treatment you're just looking for a certain degree of empathy around what you're going through as a person. And I think there are some amazing organizations that are doing that. And you see rugby players kind of very gradually falling into different stuff throughout my career. And, you know, it used to be quite a lot of insurance. And now you see a lot more guys who are falling into this kind of financial advising. And it's because the companies are, are allowing them space and time to transition into what the next stage looks like. And that's the most appealing thing about a rugby player. Very few of us leave the sport and just know, right, I'm going to go in and I'm going to become an engineer. And that's what you end up doing. And, and I think it takes time because if you remember back to whenever you were 18, you know, I'm not totally convinced you probably knew exactly what you wanted to do because there's very few of us do. So you just need to give yourself a best head start on that whilst you're still playing rugby. Yeah, yeah. And I get the impression you're not only do you enjoy playing the game, but you actually enjoy the technical side of it as well in terms of like actually understanding. And obviously yeah. you're you're looking to maybe move into some form of coaching. And yeah, some people love the technical detailed side of things. On that point, in terms of, and we talked about this briefly as well, just before we started about like rugby coverage and stuff like that. What do you make of like the way rugby's covered at the minute in the media, um, either through... <clears throat> through television and uh, podcasts and newspaper articles and things like that. What would you like to see in the change in the way that rugby is covered? It's an interesting one because I know you, 
as someone who enjoys rugby and rugby content, you've probably heard James Haskell discussing that. And like, there's a lot of what Hask says that I think, I say Hask like I know him really well. I've met him like twice and played against him, so I should redo that. But you know what I think? <laughs> well, a lot of what James Haskell says is is potentially true in relation to what his character is. And there are elements of some of the, the boys who do the rugby that I think like you need to move aside and let the new generation in. Yeah. But there's also some of those older guys who do the, the rugby who are actually really good. So yeah. someone who I worked under, you know, I know he's still involved in rugby, but anytime you get Dean Ryan to talk about rugby, that is a hugely insightful opportunity for you to learn mm-hmm. yeah. more about this. But then you can you can have some of the guys who are maybe growing along in the tooth, and they're just gonna their their only way of hanging in there is by saying something controversial, and that that does annoy me. It does create unnecessary negativity because as a professional like the, the beauty of what I'm doing I suppose is I can see it from both sides because I want to ask people interesting questions that make them think and discuss honestly about what they're what they've been through. But at the same time I'm not gonna bring up a conversation for the sake of getting an extra five hundred listens because I have we've all been ridiculed for performance or anything in any in any walk of life you could talk about you know how you look or anything like that and and i i don't think that it's necessary at times and i think there are some of the guys within rugby who are doing it for the sake of getting an extra getting an extra view or getting an extra listen and that's not the line that i'm going to head down you know each each to their own and i wish the public would probably listen to more balanced constructive content yeah. But the reality is it's hard to ignore when someone says like, oh, I think I think very strongly about this. So it's that's probably just sits in, t- in tandem with what I think. I think Haskell was very vocal on the way he thought the sport should be put out there as, as, a, as a product. And to be honest, I probably haven't reflected on what my views are on that because at the moment all I concentrate on is getting into the getting onto the pitch and throwing my dart straight. <laughs> so <laughs> there's probably some reflection that's needed on that on my yeah. behalf. But I think at the end of the day, the, the product is what's played on the pitch. And I'm all for making that product faster. I'm all for making that product safer. But you can't lose the certain qualities that make rugby what it is, which is yeah. it's physical, it's tough, it's attritional. Um, and I know there's some interesting discussions going on about the way that the laws could be manipulated to maybe make the players slightly smaller in certain aspects. And like, selfishly, do I want that to happen? Yeah, because like I'm a 105 kilo hooker. Like, do I enjoy tackling big secondaries and props here at 140 to 50 kilos? Not really. But at the same time, it's, they probably selfishly fit in with my my strengths and and move away from some of my weaknesses so yeah. I think the end the most important thing is the product of rugby union is the most important piece of it all so you've got to make sure it's a product that people want to watch and people get engaged with yeah yeah I think that's a good point in terms of um gr- growing the game I suppose that's everyone involved in it and who loves it wants to grow the game and part of that is making it more accessible to people and rugby Absolutely. rugby is different to football in that it's actually probably quite hard to just sit down randomly and watch a game because you won't know what's going on. You won't understand what half the penalties. I'm sure half the players don't understand what penalties are given for. <laughs> but like, yeah. see, even and I also it. think at, I also think at times rugby, particularly over here in England, and it was a, it was quite a surprise for me. It's quite elitist too. There's a certain yeah. there's a certain like swagger about rugby because it's played over here in 
in some really highly paid private schools. So you lose a certain degree of that working man sport, which football is. We know that's what football is. And in Ulster, it's, that's not the case because we do have a community game that we're starting to see loads and loads of more players coming through. You know, someone like Ferris, who came through the club system, is a huge example of how that has benefited. And at the same time, you have to weigh up which is the stronger product. And schools rugby, for a long time, was the stronger product with the stronger players. But you can't deny that Ulster have worked very hard at growing that club game to produce yeah. more high-quality players coming through that. But in England, that's where they're light years ahead over here, because light years behind, sorry, because... Mm. Rugby is still an elite sport. You still got you still get guys heading into academies from, you know, some of the biggest schools over here that are that you pay thirty k a year to go into, and no one can pay that unless you're 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 wealthy or you get a rugby scholarship. So, the, the accessibility is an interesting one for me, Peter, because there's there's I feel like Ulster are heading in the right path, or they're attempting to anyway. Yeah, or maybe yeah. they've got there against my knowledge but England are still a bit behind yeah no I, I completely agree with you I think as you say a lot of good work's being done in Northern Ireland uh, with regard to expanding the game and growing it in, in uh, schools and communities which historically haven't played that much rugby and we're starting to see that move away from sort of the top schools I know <laughs> you've 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 been a product of that yourself and uh, and uh, you, you, you're sure the team so many of them went on to be uh, professional players but you're looking now at the Ulster squad and you see guys coming up from you, you've increasingly got guys who are coming through the club system and and they are still probably the exception you've got the likes of Adam McBurney and uh who came through the club system and uh Tommy O'Hagan's another guy who's come in the front row at Ulster he's uh, he's come from a, a, a Gaelic background as well so yeah. that's one of the things we have to work on in terms of if we hope to compete with Leinster a big part of that is player pool and bringing in athletes from other other sports and it goes both ways as well I think it, it's mutually beneficial if we can work together with schools and communities that, that historically haven't played as much so yeah no I think I think there's a there's a lot of positive stuff but I think I think rugby rugby uh, is still one of those sort of sports predominantly played by the middle classes and uh, yeah. for, don't, don't fully understand the reason for that but uh, thankfully thankfully that is changing uh, because I think we've missed out on a lot of class athletes i mean guys uh, you're talking earlier about yourself like i play football initially and then sort of fell into rugby almost and gone on to have this yeah. this, this great career but um there's probably a load of guys who uh, never had the opportunity to know to, to, to uh try rugby or or, or were encouraged into it in the same way and i suppose like if, if i hadn't gone to method i probably wouldn't have you know it, it yeah. took me to go to what's perceived as you know a grammar school or yeah. a, <laughs> i don't know loads of people like view it as a snobby school but the reality is if i hadn't got into method i would have probably continued playing football and i think that's the that's the difficulty you need to make it accessible for everyone and i do genuinely think ulster in particular i can't speak for the other provinces because i'm not um, as okay with it, but the Ulster in particular seem to be making great strides in, mm -hmm. in in making rugby more inclusive, which is what it's all about. 
Yeah, no, they're definitely definitely doing a lot a lot of work in that regard. So that's one side of it. And the other side, as you say, is the way that's covered. And part of that is in the same way that football's grown to be such a massive global sport, it's partly down to getting the personalities involved and, <clears throat> and find out how players get into the game, more fan engagement and stuff like that. So whenever you know the player and they're doing things like podcasts and they're, they're chatting away uh, as people as opposed to, um, sports players who've just finished a game and you actually get to know them. I think that that really helps to grow the sport as well. Um, I think the beauty of football is they've got the nail on the head because they brought in Carragher and Neville and I don't think there's anybody in the UK who doesn't think that they're brilliant. Yeah, I think they, yeah. they offer really good insight but they also offer balanced approaches and opinions and I think because of their experience as ex-players they're, they're hesitant to always be really negatively vocal unless they feel passionately about it in which case it's their job it's their job to call it honest and I'm not saying people shouldn't have opinions if they're negative it's just you've got to make sure you're backing that up with sound tactical technical expertise or else you just sound like there's plenty of them out there the sensationalists who, who come out with uh, nonsense sound bites and things like that and um uh hopefully hopefully we, we move away from that a bit more and as you say uh, a, a good model to follow in that regard might be football because um, the amount of viewers that that Monday night football drags in and sometimes other class and like you see them dissecting one piece of defensive play or uh, do you know I remember one there was uh, I think it was it was Gary Neville sat and dissected a throw in for for about ten minutes and you're like how I mix it interesting as well so. Um, yeah, that, that's one thing that uh, I think guys are doing a lot more of. Murray Kinsella, who you spoke to before, uh, is great at that. And he, he takes really yeah he takes snippets from games and helps you understand what happened. So one of the things that I, I find really interesting is um, not, just, not just saying, say, say for example, maybe Ireland, uh, as an example, didn't play as well as they could have in the World Cup, putting it, putting it fairly lightly. But... Uh, actually understanding why is uh, something which I didn't see very much of in the media. A lot of criticism, um, <laughs> uh, but it's all very vague. But from going from world number one to underperforming at the World Cup, there's something happened there. And it's really interesting to try and work out what that is. And it doesn't mean that you're criticizing the team, but you're just going into a bit of depth and, and trying to work that Absolutely. out. Backing it up with technical, tactical expertise because it doesn't take a rocket scientist to work out that our, our, the Irish team underperformed in regard to where their previous standards were. And yep. so the, the, the beauty of someone like Murray Kinsella is he has, an, he has a background at high level rugby, or he has an in, he, you don't even necessarily have to have a background. As long as you've got an interest in understanding why, then that, that allows you to go and give an informed opinion on what happened. And that's the beauty of what I'm trying to say. Yeah. If, you're, if you have a guy, like if James Haskell came on and said, you know, this was a silly penalty because this guy didn't get his body shape right in this part of the breakdown, you would go, fair enough, because you've probably been in that position. But at the same time, if you have someone who is highly, highly uh, involved in trying to understand the sport or trying to learn and grow, then you'll, you'll accept those expertise. 
Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, I think we need, we need more of that. And um, uh, I think that there's YouTube and podcasts are a great opportunity where people haven't had that platform before. Um, there's, I don't know if you've come across it, Squid Rugby. Have you seen that on YouTube? Yeah, yeah, I have, yeah. Squid Rugby is really good and it's engaging and it's funny and he, he's, he sort of goes through games in like 10 minutes and you get a really good understanding of what happened. And um, I think we'll see we'll see more things like that happening and um, it's, good, it's good to see you guys like yourself uh, doing that and uh, in my own limited way try, trying to get into that a bit more myself but uh, uh, the final thing I'll not keep you much longer but the, the final thing uh, I've talked about like getting the new players and stuff I'm just interested to know uh, stuff like uh, your favourite TV show favourite movie could you choose could you yeah so favourite TV show is hard because I do love it on Netflix box set or Amazon Prime I think my favourite TV show probably I've got two I can't pick either The Sopranos yeah. or The Wire yeah yeah good choices two classics two yeah. classics yeah um, but you know I, I'm re-watching One Tree Hill at the moment with the wife and I have to tell you like <laughs> it's a guilty pleasure <laughs> It's a guilty pleasure. <laughs> You're very brave um, to admit to that. Um, but yeah. yeah, listen, it is what it is. Uh, and my favourite movie, I would probably uh, listen. I'm a big sci-fi geek, so probably something like Interstellar or, or Star Wars or something like that. Not ashamed to admit I'm a bit of a sci-fi geek. Yeah, and um, in terms of podcasts that you listen to, you mentioned a couple earlier. What what would you recommend to people? What are your favourites? Yeah, I think there's a couple of really good ones. The House of Rugby for me is the best rugby pod. By that's including mine. And I think the House of Rugby is class. I do listen to a bit off the ball because you quite often get someone like O'Driscoll or Keith Wood whose opinions really really valuable. Yeah. yeah. Um, so in rugby context, those two would be the, my, the best for me. The, the other sporting podcast I am listening to, and I know we've discussed a bit too, of football today, and it might not be everyone's cup of tea, but Jimmy Carragher's podcasts are unbelievable. Mm. Really, yeah. really good. And I think my model, and, and by the sounds of what we've done and how we've discussed today, it's similar to what you're trying to do, is he gets people on board and he genuinely just talks to them for an hour. And I think some of the Jimmy Carragher's podcasts with Michael Owen and... Uh, even someone like Craig Bellamy, who was quite hateful beforehand, <laughs> they, come across, they come across really well. Yeah, and actually, yeah. you get to know the person and you understand what they were thinking in the moments that they made big decisions that you judged them before you even knew. So those are a couple of really good ones. And then I suppose um, the usual ones like Tim Ferriss and Joe Rogan are really good ones. And and I have to tell you, I, I do have a guilty pleasure as well for listening to Colin Geddes' podcast. He's oh, a, yeah, yeah. An Irish comedian who I get my weekly, I get my like weekly or daily fix of the Northern Irish Panther, which I do really enjoy. So a Colin Gellis or Shane Todd always goes in well. Yeah, yeah, good choices. You know, a big fan of all those, all those guys. That was really good. Thank you so much for your time, and uh, nice. it was really interesting. Well, thank you very much for having me. I, mean, I really appreciate it. It's great to see someone doing some something sort of similar and putting some hopefully some decent content. If you can edit out some of my rubbish, <laughs> <laughs> my well, pleasure. Come on. That was great. Thanks very much, Niall. Good to speak to you. Cheers, mate.